it's gonna be a really neat behind the scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Because something always magical happens. Wait, what? Did you just make that up? Hey, it's Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert. Listen each week as I talk with someone new. The topics are as ADD as I am, but they'll inspire you to stay curious and grow. Big thanks to our location sponsor, the UWF Historical Trust. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. So during the holiday season of 2020, I did a mental health series. It was a hit, and we all learned so much from the fantastic guests that shared their expertise and stories. This episode is a mixtape of the best clips from 12 of the mental health-related episodes. We've got Shedding Your Fear from a Journalist Stuck Abroad During the Pandemic, uh, Tips on Guilt-Free Self-Care and Boundaries from Mental Health Professionals, How to Guard Yourself from Cult Recruitment, and more. So I think you're really going to like it. And I want to say, if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back It means the world to me that you keep hitting the play button. Your loyalty means so much to me, in fact, that I've created a once a month mingle to get to know you. You can save your spot using the link in the episode description. You'll also find all the episode numbers referenced in this episode there as well. And if you're new here, welcome. I started this podcast in 2019 with the mission to inspire people to choose curiosity over judgment. I especially like shining light on people who defy category or are a paradox. Each guest brings a personal development opportunity along with their story so you can stay curious and grow. So if you like bright, meaningful entertainment, have a look around. Each episode is different from the next. You can kind of think of it as the anti-algorithm. All right, guys, enjoy the show. So you said you had three C's of... Uh, self-care yes. that you wanted to share. So what's the first C? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that the first one would certainly be curiosity. And I use that word all the time in, um, you know, working with my women is to, in teaching meditation is to approach reflection and awareness with curiosity that we don't know what we're going to find. And so, um, and again, when, with awareness, we tend to jump onto judgment right away. But that's good. That's bad. I'm. It's my fault. It's their fault. And if we can approach with more of a sense of curiosity, especially listening to what our thoughts are doing, you know, instead of oh, why am I thinking that way? I'm so silly or ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, I just had a really interesting thought pop in. It, was it helpful? No, it was actually destructive. And so, when we can approach our our self awareness with a sense of curiosity then we're less likely to judge ourselves for it. And again, that judgment just gets in the way of problem-solving or acceptance. That's so good. And you know, obviously, this is Meredith for real, the curious introvert. So like, this is so perfect that you would say that. That's how I have um, overcome some of my um, uh, anxieties or whatever you want to call them is um, just embracing leaning into the curiosity of it as though I were an alien looking down like you know what's going to happen next isn't this interesting isn't this exciting and kind of reframing that our thoughts feelings and behaviors are linked so it's very important during times like this to monitor your thoughts what am I saying to myself what am I telling myself what am I creating as the worst case scenario Right. So if you think of it like a triangle, you would have your thoughts at the top and then um, um, at the right corner, you'd have your 
feelings. And then at the left corner, you'd have your behaviors or actions. So if my thought is we're all going to die, I'm probably going to be feeling anxious Mm. or maybe even depressed. Um, And then so my behavior might be, you know, that I am isolating, not in a good way. Um, And so what am I telling myself? And then how can I how can I um, stop those irrational thinking that um, that irrational thought? And what do I need to say to myself to combat that thought? No, we're going to be okay, You know, or if you if you're religious, you know, God is in control, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for you. But capturing the thoughts is going to be so important for you in this time because it truly does affect how you're how you're feeling. Um, And then using those coping skills like getting out in nature and going for a walk if you can, you know, Mm -hmm. perhaps in social distancing um, or sitting on your patio and having a cup of coffee or tea or water or whatever you but being intentional about saying to myself, what is it that I need? I need to create some space for myself. It's okay to walk away from my family without guilt for a moment to the people that are suffering. I'm going to say this again. Please remember to ask yourself, what am I feeling and what do I need? Sometimes you just need to say no. Sometimes I need to set boundaries. This is the right right now is a time in your life where you're probably going to need to set some boundaries and say, this is the time that I'm going to be doing work. And then this is the time I'm going to be doing my, you know, my own stuff so I can breathe. Right. This is the time I have with my kids because I have to focus on them. We are in a, a day and time where our schedules cannot look the same. I can't sit at a computer for eight hours uninterrupted because my kids are running around the house. Mm-hmm. So. Again, looking at my calendar the night before and structuring my day with my family and saying, this is how it's going to look, kids. Mommy's going to need some quiet time during this time. And, and during that time, daddy's going to do this. Are you going to be here? And I know not everybody has that support, yeah. but we have to think about what resources do we have right now? And then how, am I, how can I best use these resources? Avoidance yes. for me personally makes... Uh, mountains out of molehills, you know, Mm -hmm. it makes it like, oh, this is so complicated. It's going to take so much time. And when I start to have that thought process, I know I'm procrastinating, which is just this weird stress response. That's literally the most unhelpful thing that my body could do. Like, oh, let's just put off everything. Yeah. Yeah. And let you think about everything at once, but nothing at all. (laughs) So helpful. Thanks brain. (laughs) Love you. Mean it. Not really. I love (laughs) it. (laughs) Saying yes to mental health. So what are the consequences of not saying yes to mental health? I think it's exactly what you mentioned. It's like a total shutdown. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's, it's, you know, binging on Netflix because now you can't do anything else. You know, um, I, I always say your body is going to take what it needs eventually. It's going to somehow. And, um, and so I think giving yourself those moments to sort of breathe Um, And one of the uh, things I tell my clients is I say, if you think about your day um, like a balloon, so you wake up and it's already probably getting full because maybe the alarm clock rubbed you the wrong way, you know, and then it just continually, you know, expands. Um, And what we need to do is create little holes in our day where we can like poke the balloon so we can kind of release that um, so that when we get home with our families, we aren't like explosive, you know, if ADHD oh, yeah. is a part of your superpower uh, tool belt, that's the the key. So maybe take that 
quiz that you mentioned first. And then the second thing that I'm hearing you say is be your own advocate. Figure out what you need. I can, when you were talking, I was, I was, I was remembering that there were times where I was in like a professional setting and there was a television on and I had to be like, uh, guys, can we just shut that TV on? Sorry. I'm just, you know, I can't hear it and hear you. And I really want to hear you right now. So I didn't even use the words ADHD or, you know, I was afraid it would be too dismissive. And quite frankly, I, as I've told you, I've never been officially diagnosed, but, um, but just to, to frame it in a way like, hey, I want to be here with you and I can if that TV's on. There's a thing called cognitive hyperactivity, not just hyperactivity. So when you're talking about the song, cognitive hyperactivity is this busyness in our head that it often isn't quiet all day. There's something going on. No, yeah, there's other always. People, yeah, other people, it gets quiet in here. And if you're a meditator, you can get it quiet in there. If you're in nature or other things, you might get it quiet in there. But typically, it isn't. So cognitive hyperactivity is going to show up much more than the hyperactivity that you would see in a kid. Mm. So we aren't going to be like looking like this as adults, although some of us do. And I still wiggle and move sometimes when I get excited like that. But I think that a lot of people are missing cognitive hyperactivity so that you aren't truly inattentive primarily, you're both, because you're not hyper this way, but you're hyper in here. So you are a combination of both. And there are things to address the cognitive hyperactivity. I think when you look at, you know, whatever your situation is, whatever, whatever a person listening to this, whatever their situation is, and then you look at a moment, a story that it did end up not just okay, but it ended up really special. And it deepened your gratitude, as you said, or it made you fall in love with a group of people that you would have never have met. Then sometimes that gives us the hope and the strength to go, you know what, it's it's all right, it'll be it'll be okay. And maybe there's something cool that I can uncover throughout this. Yeah, and I and everyone's level of uncomfortable is different. And I didn't start out like this. I mean, I was deathly afraid to fly. I was afraid of sharks. And I just woke up one day and said, I don't want to live life being afraid. And, you know, I don't, I don't like that this has this mental control over me. So I, I just started doing things until I wasn't afraid. And the same with motorcycles. I mean, I've had friends die and I've known people who have lost limbs and yeah, you obviously hear how dangerous they are, but I didn't want to live life in fear of anything. And I still feel that way. If there's something that does completely scare me, I will just jump into it head on. And, you know, I think that people need to just take baby steps, just whatever makes you uncomfortable now, figure out how you deal with it. Maybe you don't deal with it the same way I do. That's okay too, but Mm -hmm. just take baby steps and you'll be surprised what you can do and what you what you kind of get used to and your threshold will start to get more and more. In your clinical experience, have you found certain personality types more vulnerable to cult recruitment than others? Uh, I have found, even though, you know, I think there are two things to look at. One is the, the what, like what part of a personality, what might make you more susceptible. And it's also the when, 
So the when I'll go through first because that's usually the unexpected part. There are people who will say that they were very susceptible to a message of, mm, we want to be your new family, or we can help you um, regain your health. We can help you feel connected. We can help you have a relationship with God. We can do whatever. And you were open to it because it was the first time you were away from home or you just incurred a loss in your family or you just diagnosed with something. And so suddenly the recruitment pitch worked for you when a couple months before you would have walked right by these people who were trying to get you to come in. Um, so I think that there are a lot of people who will say, I was open to the message then. The part is that for some people, they're looking for connection. They're feeling disenfranchised. They're feeling like they need a sense of connection and community um, because they just haven't felt that way. They haven't felt like they found their people. And cults will kind of pose as your people. They'll give you a language to use so that you're all speaking the same language. They'll make you feel like you have found it. And so there's this sort of love bombing that happens right away that really draws people in and people open to that who are not suspicious necessarily are going to love it. People who are a little more suspicious don't get involved in cults as easily. They'll wonder like, this was a little too easy. Like, what do they want from me? Hey everyone, just a quick interruption to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. The UWF Historical Trust. We shoot the show in the Museum of Commerce and the T.T. Wentworth Museum. And not only is this an amazing step back into the 18 and 1900s, but it's an event space too. How cool is that? You can see everything at historicpensacola.org. If you want to tour one of the 12 museums, and yes, Pensacola has 12 museums, and you get your tickets in person, show the ticket agent one of my emails and you'll get $2 off an adult ticket. You can get emails by texting REAL to 66866. So I don't have kids, but I also want to tell you about It's Your Magazine. They're a national family-centered publishing company with free parent magazines. They have parenting advice, events, and inspiration. I'm actually in a networking group with a publisher, and this guy is all about family. You can view a free magazine in cities in Texas, Oregon, Washington, and Florida by checking them out at itsyourmagazine.com. And insect. So I've always felt iffy about pesticides. Then the mosquitoes got so bad, I would get covered in them from walking from my house to the car. I called Insect, and to say I've been impressed is an understatement. When the treatment wasn't quite doing it, the owner actually came to my house. He found the breeding sites, identified the species of mosquito, and adjusted my treatment to that species. That's when I found out he's also a beekeeper, and pollinator issues are always top of mind. So if you're in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Coast of Alabama, give him a call, ensec.net. Now back to the show. I definitely want to like figure out the definition of depression because I read that people who watch um, Netflix series like in a binging way that they experience depression after the show is over. And I thought, 
<clears throat> I don't know if we're using that word. I don't think you know what it means. <laughs> are we meaning what we think we mean? Yeah. yeah. So, and I have some listeners who are very concerned about the office going off air. It is concerning. It is concerning. <laughs> so we should probably start there with the definition of depression as it relates to our Netflix favorites. <laughs> well, and you know, I I think that as this word depression has made its way into our common language, I think we've started to use that as a word for like really sad, mm. right? Like I'm depressed, which I think I means I'm extra sad over this. Yeah. Um, and it's really more than that. Um, so yeah, I want us to talk about what is that difference and how do I know, am I sad? Am I really sad? Am I depressed? Are these things the same? Are they related or what? Um, yeah. Cause we only really have that one word in English. I just realized that we have sad and and then below sad are I'm feeling down, but nothing is. We go from sad to depressed. There's nothing really in between. <laughs> and, and in reality, there's a lot of things in between, right? Yes. Yeah, so walk us through that, <laughs> will you? Sure. Um, yeah. So sadness. I, we'll talk about that for a second. And I think that's one that you know we know when we feel it, and we know when we see it. I don't know that sadness needs a whole lot of explanation. Um, but when it comes to depression, that's when there's a lot of questions. People are like, am I sad or am I depressed or how do these, you know, are these the same? Um, so depression can definitely include sadness, um, but it is more encompassing and more pervasive than sadness alone. So sadness as an emotion is something that we expect can sort of come and go. Um, it's transient. Um, and it's typically in response to something, right? Mm. Maybe it's our Netflix series ending and we're feeling really, really, really sad about that. Um, but it's usually about something in response to something. Um, if we're, if we're depressed, it may or may not be in response to something. Um, but going back to what I was saying, that it, it, it can include sadness. Um, it may not be, oh, I feel like I'm crying all the time, sadness. It can be a low mood. It can be um, something that's more of I'm feeling apathetic or I'm feeling sort of numb, as we call mm. it, or um, that I am not enjoying things. I'm not interested um, in my normal way. Um, but it also includes things outside of mood. So, um a lot of times we see impact on motivation. We see cognitive impacts. Um, so lots of trouble with focus and decision-making. We're hearing a lot of that right now. Yeah. Um, problems with sleep, changes in appetite, which can sometimes be related to changes in weight. That could be going up or down. Mm-hmm. Um, can be thinking of death um, and not just in a, I'm, I'm wanting to hurt myself or I'm, I'm suicidal, but just kind of that thought, that theme is around a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's beyond just a feeling or a mood. It's encompassing some of these other symptoms as well. Um, and then the other thing that we think about when we're going, okay, is this sadness or is this depression? We're thinking about, um, the frequency of these symptoms, the intensity, the duration, how long are they lasting? Um, So where sadness is transient, right? This thing might happen. I might feel sad about it for 30 minutes or a day or so. Depression, if it's a diagnosable episode, is at least two weeks. I think creativity is um, 
such the underdog of business skills because you have to have that creativity to problem solve. And really creativity is also, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of our chat, it's it's how you can solve the problems of mental health is by using creative solutions, expressing your feelings creatively, using different mediums, trying different things. It's, it's also kind of tied to that perseverance of if one thing doesn't work, try another thing and keep going. Yeah, it's really, uh, that is the takeaway for sure. You know, if someone that is listening that has some sort of mental challenge, instead of making yourself wrong because you have an obsessive mind or depression or anxiety or any number of a body disorder or any, any of these types of things, look at how can I use this to my advantage? And there are, there are ways to do that. Maybe the depression that you're feeling is a signal that you need to change your diet. Maybe you need to exercise more. Maybe it's a pain that could motivate you to go to therapy. Like instead of dwelling on it and living in this muck, like get off your ass as, as hard as it is. I'm not saying it's not hard. It's hard. Do the really, really fucking hard work and do what you got to do and look for a way to kind of reconstruct your software in a way that, that, you know, serves you instead of takes you down, you know, and that's sort of where creativity and analytical thinking sort of um, can make beauty in the world. What were some other stigmas that you had about marijuana or even specifically medical marijuana that kept you from thinking that idea at all? Oh, man, there's so many. There's so many, right? So when you when you think about medical marijuana, right, when you think about the actual term of it, it must be an illegal drug that has a negative connotation, um, that you're a pothead, right? That's the first thing that people think of. Like, yeah. you must be a pothead. You must, you know, sit on your couch and smoke weed all day. You know, um, you must be, because it's always been classified as, like, the gateway drug, right? Like, right. It's the gateway drug. And, like, if you have taken some of these anti-anxiety medications, you know, or or Adderall or caffeine, health, caffeine, there's, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of stuff that um, that affects your your mental state. And I think that the stigma that I had, I mean, especially even for this episode, right, is that I don't want people to think that I'm not capable of doing something because my mental state is altered. Right. But really the fact of it is, is that my mental state needed a solution Mm -hmm. to the problem it was having. And so for me, the stigma is really around, is she capable of managing life with it? And my answer to that is like, I couldn't really manage life effectively without it. So when does anxiety become a problem within relationships? Like what's the threshold? Let's see. There's really becomes a problem whenever the one that's not having it doesn't know what to do with it. They will, they don't understand it. So usually the best thing for them is to educate themselves on it and understand the other person's perspective, what they're worrying about, what their triggers are and supporting them. But, uh, when it becomes problematic, it's, you know, of course there's going to be arguing. We're going to see different perspectives, you know, from me, uh, you know, Amy will be happy. She'll be fine with me talking about it. She's got anxiety. My wife, I've had anxiety. So, it's fine for us because mm-hmm. I've dealt with it before and she's dealing with it now mildly. You know, she didn't start having it until kids came 
And now she's got a whole new set of worries to worry about all the time. And then now we got COVID and we got remote learning. Oh my gosh. So it's been a challenge. I like to for call her. remote learning drinking from home. <laughs> day drinking. Yeah. Day drinking. That that's uh I've come home to her with a glass of wine a couple times. <laughs> so accurate. Uh there's a number of things that, you know, to look for, you know, irritability, you know, uh, if your significant other is having trouble sleeping, they're restless, they're antsy, talking to them, figuring out what's going on. Those are going to be the things that you want to do. You, you, you don't want to make it about y'all. You want to make it about the anxiety. Mm. So, so that it's not like a blame thing. Correct. There's no blame to throw around you. Your brain's very complex, and sometimes it's going to play tricks on you, and that's what it's doing. When you are in a state of fight or flight, in a regular state, and that's your every day, that's the thing that you're just normally used to, what happens is you start breathing faster just naturally because you're in that state. Right. When you start breathing faster, you're sending a signal through your through your to the autonomic nervous system because of that breathing, it is that bottom up or, or top down in this case mm -hmm. signal. And that signal says, Hey, I'm in a state of fight or flight. <laughs> and then your autonomic nervous system says, Oh my God, we must be in more danger than I even thought. Mm -hmm. And so it starts to ratchet up things. Uh, it starts to ratchet up the state of fight or flight. And before you know it, you're freaking out. You're having panic attacks. You're, you're just in a state of constant anxiety we see it all too often. And of course, our first thing to do is to do drugs and all these things, um, you know, whether prescription or otherwise. And the, the interesting thing is we actually have it in our capacity to just take that breath and, and, and use it to shift back into the state or at least decelerate that, um, yeah. that fight or flight state interrupting the pattern. If I feel in a funk, I think of a way to interrupt the pattern of that thought and that feeling. And that might be with music. It might be with hanging upside down, like just doing a forward fold and letting the blood rush to my head. It's interrupting the pattern of being upright. I'm telling you, just if you're in a funk, try it. Think about all the things that are and do the opposite. Um, I will watch one episode of a TV show or walk around outside. So anything that interrupts it. The second one is a super recent one that I'm trying out and it's probably connected to mindfulness. I didn't read it in a book. I just sort of made it up. It came out of a need of feeling overwhelmed with lots of thoughts all at once. So like just, I feel like my brain is an information highway of converging thoughts that are trying to cut each other in line. Like they don't, they don't queue up. Like they just are shoving each other and being crazy. So it can make me tired physically. It can make me feel overwhelmed and it makes me feel anxious because whenever I'm doing one thing, I'm thinking about 10 other things. So my latest tool in my tool belt, I don't even have a name for it. It's just repeating in my head what I am doing. So I'll be showering and I will tell myself, okay, I'm taking a shower. I'm exactly where I need to be at this moment. Showering at this moment is my only job. Oh my gosh, it's been really great. So it has really helped me operate in peace and flow instead of panic and being a crazy person. Thanks for listening. 
If you heard something that was so good that you wished you could have taken notes, I got you. Just text REAL to 66866 if you're in the US. Or if you're elsewhere, go to MeredithForReal.com and you can sign up to get a bulleted, clickable summary of all the great knowledge nuggets from this episode delivered to your email inbox. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the full version of the episodes in this mixtape. You can find them all in the episode description. Stay tuned next week when I talk with a doctor who has studied near-death experiences for 50 years. He's got some interesting things to say. Talk to you next week.